Well, welcome back to the living room after a week off. We missed you guys. Y'all doing okay? Y'all doing all right? You got what, five? If you count Thanksgiving, you've got, uh, what, five weeks left in the semester? That's crazy. Four weeks of classes and then finals. I mean, we're almost done, people. I, I included myself in that. I carry all the stress that you're feeling right now, okay? I don't, uh, but I'm with you. And we love you and we're for you. And it's great to be back with you guys. And I love what you got going on right here with this furry blanket here in the front row. Is it that cold? It's pretty chilly outside. I get it. doesn't matter. As long as you're cold, you can have it. Um, hey, we're glad you're here. Um, as we continue our series uh, that we kicked off two weeks ago called Over It. Over It, where we are having some honest conversations around stress, worry, and anxiety. And uh, I want to, before I jump in, I did this two weeks ago and I told you I was going to do it every week, uh, give you a little bit of a disclaimer thing is really, really helpful. And if you missed uh, two weeks ago, part one of the series, it would be really, really helpful, um, I think, uh, for you to go check it out, to catch up, to, to look at where we've kind of gone and what we've said. Uh, you can listen to it on our podcast or our YouTube, search Living Room Woodstock. You can find it wherever you like to find your stuff. Uh, but I want to give you an abbreviated version of how I kicked off our message last week because I think it's really, really important that I want you to hear from me uh, that anxiety is a very complex and complicated topic. And stress and anxiety are not synonyms. In fact, you can be stressed, like some of you guys are, you know, stressed about school, stressed about finals, stressed about like, oh my God, I'm gonna marry him, he just doesn't know it yet. You know, like stress, like there's that kind of stress. You can be stressed, but not be anxious. Right? Um, but what we talked about last week or two weeks ago during part one is that you can be stressed and you can have enough stress to the point to where you can become anxious and you can have moments of anxiety, anxiety attacks. But you can also be anxious and not clinically anxious or have generalized anxiety disorder. So you can be stressed but not anxious, anxious but not clinically anxious. And so as we were kind of dreaming up what this series could look like, um, we felt confident, hey, we want to speak to these two groups of people. Stressed, everyday life is true of everybody. And then those of us that experience um, heightened levels of anxiety, maybe even anxiety attacks. And we hope this series is hopeful and helpful for you and believe that it can be. If you are in the realm of, hey, I, you know, I've been diagnosed with anxiety disorder, um, depression, clinical anxiety, I'm seeing a therapist. Uh, here's what we want you to know is that we hope that this series can also be helpful and hopeful. But more than anything, what we want you to know is that we believe in a holistic approach to anxiety. Um, and, and during the course of this series, we're going to talk about the spiritual side. Not because it's the only side, but because it's the only side we are qualified to talk about. And if you're in that realm of clinical anxiety, in fact, I met a couple of you two weeks ago and I was so encouraged to hear your stories and to, and to talk to you about um, everything we talked about in week one. But if that's you and if this series helps you in any way, that's awesome. If it doesn't, I just want you to know there's nothing wrong with you and it's not because your faith is too small. It's because there is a medical community out there and, and professionals out there that God has gifted and created to help you walk through this and we are so for that. So anything in this series, hear me say, is not meant to replace counseling or therapy or any kind of medication. Uh, everything we talk about in the series is just another thing to add on to your tool belt because we want to help you walk through the season wherever you might find yourself. The interesting thing about anxiety, though, is that not all stress and anxiety is bad. Uh, in fact, um, we were created to operate with a certain level of stress and anxiety. There's actually a good part of stress and anxiety when it is working and functioning in us the way that it was created to work and function in 
us. So what I wanna do for a couple of minutes is I wanna show you the helpful side of stress and anxiety, and then I wanna show you how anxiety works in the body. We're gonna give you a little bit of a science lesson here tonight um, so that we can then explain when it can become harmful stress and anxiety in our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our lives. I love, one of my favorite things is when faith and science intersect. It's, it's one of my favorite things. And so tonight I'm gonna give you a little bit of a, a science lesson about anxiety about what is going on in our minds and physically in our bodies and chemically whenever anxiety strikes. Now, you, you probably remember this from when you were in, in high school or college, or I don't know, maybe you don't remember this, but your body is made up of a bunch of different kinds of systems. You know this, right? And getting a couple of nods, probably just because, yeah, of course, of course it is, systems. Yes, why not, right? And one of those systems, um, you probably heard, is the nervous system, okay? So don't look at this yet, don't freak out, it's fine. It's fine, you're not getting tested on this. You're not getting tested on this. This is free, this is church, grace. Okay, so look. <laughs> so the nervous system is one of the systems in the body and the nervous system is responsible. My brother is a chief resident at Emory, he would be so proud of me right now. Um, the nervous system is, is, is a system in the body that is responsible for all of the body's conscious and unconscious actions. Um, you know, it's the, the things your body does when you don't even know that it's doing, and it's the me moving my hands and my arms and looking and talking all at the same time right now. It's crazy. I can do this. Oh, my God, yes. And my brain is doing all that. It's sending signals from the brain to the rest of my body, and all of it is having seamlessly. It's unbelievable. Now, the nervous system, um, one of the subsystems of the nervous system is the autonomic nervous system. Now, the autonomic nervous system, it sounds like automatic, right? Um, the autonomic nervous system is responsible for all of the body's unconscious actions, the things that your body does naturally. You don't have to try to do it. You can't really do it. Your body just does it. Now, the autonomic nervous system is broken up into two subsystems. One of them is the parasympathetic nervous system. In the parasympathetic nervous system, that is responsible for all of your body's unconscious actions that happens while you're at rest. For example, the creation of saliva, right? Like you're sitting there right now and your body's creating saliva and you're not sitting there thinking, dang, I gotta create some saliva real quick. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't happen. You don't do that, it just happens naturally. Uh, digestion is, the, is, a, is a role of the parasympathetic nervous system. Like you don't eat food and think, okay, digest. <laughs> Hang on, no, 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 I got one more piece of pizza. You know, like you don't do that. Your body just does it Naturally, it just happens, it works. That's the parasympathetic nervous system. Now the sympathetic nervous system, also uh, a subsystem of what happens automatically, if you will, in your body, but the sympathetic nervous system is what regulates the body's fight or flight response. And maybe you've, you've heard about the fight or flight response, you've heard people talk about it, whatever. Maybe you've heard people say fight or flight and you're like, I can't fight and I can't fly. I don't know what you're talking about. The fight or flight response. Um, fight or flight is what um, it's been labeled, and it is basically your body's natural response whenever you are faced with a threat. Fight or flight is your body. You, you, like, you don't intentionally go into fight or flight. Like, I'm about to go into Power Ranger mode. Fight or flight, let's go. Like, it, <laughs> it, happens not, like it happens automatically whenever you are in a pressured situation or your well-being or your survival is being threatened. So you either fight to stay alive or you flight, run to stay alive. Let me give you an example. Let's say you're like outdoorsy 
I'm not, uh, but let's say you like love the woods and you like wanna you know, go with your girlfriend out there and you're like, let me show you how I can set up at Eno. And so you go out there and you're in the woods and you don't know where you are and you're like breaking branches so you know how to get back. No offense to Eno's, it's great. I don't know how to use them. But, um, and so, but you're doing that whole thing and then a bear comes out of nowhere. A bear, like a big bear. A grizzly bear, they don't even hear, but a big bear, okay? So a bear comes out at you, and immediately what happens, immediately what happens um, is, is your body, a neurochemical reaction happens in your brain. This happens all automatically. And your sympathetic nervous system kicks into overdrive, and this chemical called cortisol gets pumped into your brain, and you basically hulk out. Like your, your vision gets sharper, your breathing gets heavier, um, your, your, your heart starts pumping even faster and faster, therefore getting more and more blood to the rest of your body. Your bladder even relaxes. Have you ever heard the phrase, I was so scared I peed my pants? That's not a joke. Y'all just never been scared enough to do it, but you can. It's real. And what happens? And in that moment, you are focused and you are doing whatever it takes in that moment. You forget everything, tunnel vision, and all you are doing is trying to survive and you run for your life. Or, or if that bear gets you, you are fighting for your life. Fight or flight. That type of anxiety is good. And that's what's happening in that moment. It's anxiety. Like that is keeping you alive. Imagine if you walked up, you're like, oh, it's a, it's a bear. See that, babe? Look at that. And what's crazy is without fight or flight, it's exactly what would happen. Because there was be nothing saying, hey, that's a threat. There's something wrong there. That's going to hurt you. You could die. You need to run. Now, not only does an appropriate level of anxiety, the way that it was meant to function, keep you alive, but researchers have also found that it's the very thing that keeps you and I productive. Keeps you and I productive. This is crazy. Listen, there's a, a guy named David Barlow. He's a researcher at Boston University, the, the Center of Anxiety and Related Disorders. And this is what he wrote about anxiety. This is so interesting. Without anxiety, little would be accomplished. The performance of athletes, entertainers, executives, artisans, and students, hello, would suffer. Creativity would diminish. Crops might not be planted. And then this is, this is insane. This would be as deadly for the species as nuclear war. What? Yeah. Because you would have no drive to do anything. You would be afraid of starvation. You would be, in fact, let me just prove this to you. You know, you had that paper due. And you had three weeks to write it. And you're like, oh, I got three weeks to write it. And then you're like, oh, I got two weeks to write it. And you're like, oh, I got one week to write it. And then you're like, oh shoot, I've got six hours to write it. <laughs> and there's something deep down, like it's like, oh shoot, laser focus. And you're, you're typing words you didn't even know you knew. And you crank out that junk and you're like, you walk in and you're like, oh my God. And you turn it in, whatever you do these days, I don't know. And you're like, I did it. I crushed it. I thrive under pressure. If you're able to do that, the rest of us hate you, okay? <laughs> but it's that thing that you feel. It's that thing that you feel that, that, that keeps you productive. It forces you to do the things that you need to do, the things that you need to get done. Even at the last minute, you don't feel that kind of pressure when you got three weeks. But when it's right there in front of you, the deadline is staring you in the face. You don't want to fail. You can't lose hope. You want to get it done and you get it 
done. That type of anxiety is good for you and for me. It is helpful. It not only keeps us alive, but researchers, guys, way smarter than me, are saying, man, it's the very thing that keeps us moving forward as humanity, and it keeps us productive. However, stress that could ultimately lead to anxiety begins to rob you and me of the life that God wants for us. Watch this. Whenever fight or flight is triggered in us and there's no immediate threat. That what is happening in our minds and in yours and in mine, an anxiety goes from helpful to harmful whenever fight or flight is triggered and there's no paper due in six hours. And when anxiety strikes, but there is no immediate threat, here's what that means for you and for me, is that we are becoming anxious over a future imagined event that we cannot control. Researchers will tell you that anxiety is always future-oriented and driven by fear. That's what it is. It is future-oriented, it's always about the future, and it is driven by fear. Uh, if you, uh, in part one of the series, I, I gave you guys a pretty lengthy story about my 2018. It was one of the most stressful years of my life, and I've experienced, I experienced more anxiety attacks um, during that year than I ever had before. I'd wake up in the middle of the night, not being able to breathe, eyes wide open, heart pounding, feeling like I was going to pass out. And it was a bunch of things that happened. Um, I had my kidney removed. Me and my wife bought a house. We renovated a house. We welcomed our first child into the world. And all that happened within six months. But I want you to think about this, that it's future-oriented and driven by fear. So going back to my 2018, I got this massive kidney that I've got to get removed. I wasn't anxious because my kidney was large. Like, is what it is. I knew that was going to happen. And I didn't know what was happening. I'm like, it is what it is. They told me. I know it's big. That's fine. I was anxious about potential future complications after I had surgery. I wasn't anxious that we bought a house. We bought a house. Like, it's done. We bought it. No, no, I was anxious that three months from now I was gonna find out the foundation was bad and I bought the wrong house. I wasn't anxious that my wife was pregnant. No, man, that's awesome. I, I did that. Um, I was... I was... <laughs> I, I, I did. Um, I wasn't anxious that my wife was pregnant. I was so excited I mean, we dreamt about being parents. We talked about it when we were seriously dating and engaging, when we couldn't wait. I wasn't anxious that she was pregnant. I was anxious that maybe something would happen, that maybe the baby wasn't gonna be okay or she wouldn't be okay or maybe all the stress that our family's experienced was going to affect the pregnancy. Anxiety is always future-oriented and driven by fear. And you felt this. Um, anxiety, anxiety, if you're taking notes, write this down. It's a meteor shower of what ifs. It's a meteor shower of what ifs. Like, like, what if it doesn't work out? What if I don't get that job? What if I don't pass that class? What if I don't get into that major? What if I don't get that internship? What if the relationship doesn't work out? What if he doesn't come back? What if she does not get better? What if the money does not come in? What if, what if, what if, what if? And these what ifs begin to snowball and they get bigger and they get worse. And before you know it, you've planned out in your mind the worst possible catastrophe, the worst possible thing that could happen. And it's led you down a, 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 a path of unhelpful thinking that is sabotaging your mind, your heart, and your 
soul. That you're sitting there and there's no immediate threat. There's nothing in front of you that's certain. Maybe there's something that might happen, maybe not. But these what-ifs begin to compound and you're sitting there in your dorm, you're laying awake at night and you're freaking out and you feel like there's nothing that you can do. And all of a sudden these what-ifs get worse and worse and worse. And there you are all alone trying to figure out how to cope. Have you ever been there? What if, what if, what if, what if? Then it paralyzes you and it paralyzes me and we get trapped in our own mind thinking about the worst possible outcome. Thinking about things not working out the way that we want them to. Future oriented and driven by fear. And this unhelpful thinking that starts here in the mind, it sabotages you and it sabotages me. It sabotages our hearts and it affects the way that we view everything. It affects the way that we view life. It affects the way that we view faith. It affects the way that we view God. It affects the way we view life. And for us, some of us, it even begins to affect our ability to function day to day. If you were to go see a therapist um, and, and have them help you work through your anxiety or a counselor, one of the things that, that they might walk you through is what they call cognitive behavioral therapy. And kind of the underpinning of cognitive behavioral therapy um, is this, kind of this, this cognitive triangle is what they call it, that it starts with your thoughts. We have these thoughts, these what ifs, and it affects our feelings, which ultimately affects our behavior. That we've got these thoughts, this unhelpful way of thinking, these what ifs that begin to sabotage our, our minds, and ultimately it affects our feelings, our hearts, and begins to affect our behavior. We begin questioning things. We begin fearing things. And it all starts because fight or flight was triggered and there was nothing immediate to fear. That's how anxiety works. And that's what's happening in you and on me. On whatever level you find yourself, that's what's happening in you and in me in those moments. That's how it goes from helpful to harmful. And so for the next couple of minutes, I want to give you one thing, one thing that you and I can do, not to replace anything else you can do, not to fix everything. I just want to give you one thing that I believe is powerful, one thing that I believe you can add on to anything else that you already are doing to begin to fight against this unhelpful way of thinking that snowballs into catastrophe and leads you to a place where your thoughts are affecting how you're feeling and it's affecting your behavior. And all of a sudden you find yourself trapped by these anxious thoughts driven by fear of something in the future. And so I wanna look at something that the Apostle Paul wrote uh, in Philippians. And here's, here's why, there's so many reasons why I love the Apostle Paul and why we should listen to what the Apostle Paul said, but here is one of them. Philippians is a letter. Most of the New Testament is just letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to his friends in different churches around the world, or the known world. And Philippians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote while he was sitting in prison. He was not only sitting in prison, he's sitting in prison awaiting to hear his fate, waiting to hear whether or not he was going to be killed for his faith. I want you to think about, I mean, talk about a what if. Imagine being in Paul's shoes. Imagine being in Paul's shoes and he's a rep. We live in the United States of America. We can have whatever faith we want. Here is Paul. He's in chains for his faith. And he's thinking, what if this is my last night? What if this is my last meal? 
What if I don't get to see my friends again? What if I'm writing them this letter and it's really a goodbye? What if, what if, what if I die tomorrow? What if they kill me? If there was anybody that could have been and should have been plagued by the what ifs that led to this unhelpful snowball of thinking that paralyzed him, it would have been the Apostle Paul. This is the backdrop with which you have to read every single word he wrote in Philippians. And when you do, when you have that backdrop, it changes everything. So with that in mind, this is what he wrote to his friends in Philippians chapter four, starting in verse four. He said this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again in case you missed it the first time, in case you can't read, rejoice. How in the world? How, Paul? Choose joy, he said, no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what is going on in your heart and in your mind, no matter what you are afraid of, I want you to rejoice always. I want you to choose joy. Paul, my guy, love you. How are you saying this with conviction? You are in chains for the gospel. You're probably gonna die, and ultimately he did, for the gospel. How could he write such words? Is he just Jesus juking us? Like, like how in the world could he write this and mean this? Here's how. The apostle Paul was convinced that Jesus rose from the grave. That for the Apostle Paul, the reason why he could say rejoice always, the reason why he could say you could choose joy and I want you to choose joy no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're thinking, no matter what you're afraid of, is because we follow a Savior that stared death in the face and said, I win. And we're going to talk way more about that next week as we wrap up the series. But here's what you need to know is that the Apostle Paul knew and the Apostle Paul was convinced that joy is not a feeling. Joy does not come and go with emotions. And the Christian joy is not rooted in what is happening around us. It's not rooted in what we fear the most. That the Christian joy is rooted in the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. It is rooted in what we know to be true about Jesus. And do you know what stress and anxiety wants to do? Stress and anxiety and worry, it wants to steal your joy. But you know what stress and worry and anxiety can't do? It wants to steal your joy, but it can't steal your joy because your joy and my joy, the Christian joy, it's not rooted in what is happening around us. It is the fruit of the spirit of God that lives inside of us. So that means you could be stressed and still be holding on to the joy that is only found in Jesus. You can be anxious and still have the joy of the Lord that the Spirit is manifesting in your heart and in your life. So he says, hey, if anybody gets it, I do. No matter what, I want you to choose joy. And then he goes on, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. He says, the Lord is near. I don't know about you, but when I'm on edge, The last thing I am is gentle. So I want you to choose joy. And I want your gentleness, this inner calm joy that you can experience no matter what you feel. I want you to be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Lord is here. The Lord is with you. And then he writes one of the most famous verses in all the New Testament. Your grandma's got this junk cross-stitched over, hanging over her toilet in the bathroom. 
She puts it on towels and stuff. He writes this in verse six. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything, Paul said, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Hey, hey, I don't want you to be anxious about it. I don't want you to let anxiety or fear or worry drive you. I don't want you to be anxious about anything. No, 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 no. In every situation, in anything that you face, in all circumstances, I don't want you to be anxious. No, no, instead, in anything and everything that you might face in life or think in life or be experiencing in life, I want you to present your requests to God through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Prayer and petition. I love this. I love this. Prayer and petition. He doesn't say, hey, you just need to like try a little bit harder. You need to get over it. No, no, no. He's saying you need to look beyond yourself. He's saying, I know that you can't. He's saying, hey, the weight of this anxiety and stress that you're feeling, it's going to cripple you. No, no. I know that you can't. So I want you to look beyond yourself and I want you to give it to the one who can. I love what C.S. Lewis said about prayer. He said, pray what is in you, not what ought to be in you. I love that. Like, you don't have to fake it with God. Like, you know, when you're having a bad day and someone asks you how your day is, and you just pretend like it's all good, but you don't really let them know what's going on on the inside. You don't have to fake it with God. God doesn't want to know what ought to be in you. No, no, he wants to know what is really in you. He wants to know what you're really going through. He wants to know about the stress. He wants to know about the anxiety. He wants to know about the fear. He wants to know it all through prayer and petition. And this is not like a one-time thing. No, no, this is something that you would build into the rhythm of your life with thanksgiving, he says. Thanksgiving. Gratitude for what God has done in your past. Looking back and being thankful for what God has done and what he has brought you through. How he brought you through that mess. How even though things didn't turn out the way that you wanted them to, here you are still standing today because God brought you through it anyway. And somehow he used that ugliness to, 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 for his glory in a way that we can't fully understand, but here you are still standing I love this. He's saying with prayer and with thanksgiving. In other words, it's this formula where we are being fully dependent on God and being reminded of the faithfulness of God. I started to build this into the rhythm of how I do my time with the Lord. For me, I'm very vanilla. Like I just, I wake up, I do it in the morning, cup of coffee, moleskin, and Bible. It's like Visco Christian, okay? And, and I just, it's just what I like to do. <clears throat> but I started doing something a little bit different. Uh, this, this year, partly out of all that was going on in 2018. But before I get into what God says, I answer three questions. And I, it's like to myself, so it sounds funny, but in my journal, really, it says, it says, how do you feel? And then I answer that question. And the next question is, what are you afraid of? And I answer that question. And then the last question I ask myself is, what are you grateful for? And I answer that question. And after I've been real about all that is in here, after I've told God, hey, this is how I'm really feeling. Hey, I'm anxious today. Hey, I'm not doing great today. Hey, I'm angry today. Hey, I'm stressed today. Hey, I'm kind of blah today. What are you afraid of? Hey, this is what I'm afraid of, Lord. Ah, this is what I got coming up. And then what are you grateful for? I'm coming to God with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, and then I get into what he has to say to me in my heart. 
He says, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, bring your requests to God. Not a one-time thing, an everyday thing. Not just a one-off thing. Build this into the rhythm of your life. Build this into the rhythm of your faith. Build this into the rhythm of your time away with God. And when you do, Paul says, in the peace of God, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. It doesn't make sense. It's not going to make sense to a lot of people. It's not going to make sense to you. It might not make sense right now, but I'm telling you, the peace of God, he says, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That word guard, it's a military term, watch this, and it means to build a fortress around. To build a fortress around. Around And so what he's saying is, hey, when you bring this to God regularly, I'm telling you, the peace of God, it's going to build a fortress, I love this, around your hearts and your minds. It's like the Apostle Paul knew about all of this brain stuff before they knew anything about brain stuff. It's not just a hard thing. No, 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 I want to protect your mind, Paul says. I want it to protect that unhelpful ways of thinking, Paul says. And he's like, I know it starts up here. I know there are thoughts that lead to feelings which lead to behavior. I want to protect against those what ifs. God wants to protect you against those what ifs. And so as you continue to bring them to God in a way that doesn't make sense, Samer, how does it work? I don't know. But Samer, I don't understand. What do you mean? Like, like I just got to, like, how, how does the peace of God come? I don't know. But what I do know is that when we bring it to God, somehow in a way we can't understand, somehow in a way it won't make sense to others, the peace of God, it's gonna build a fortress around your heart and it's gonna build a fortress around your mind in the name of Jesus that conquered death. He says, so bring your requests to God. And the promise is that the peace of God, how? I, I don't know. Samer, I need explanation. I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't. But I know it's going to protect your heart and your mind. I love, I love what Peter says. I'm going to close with this. Peter, he says, I want you to humble yourselves, he says. I want you to humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you I love this I want you to humble yourselves like just like Paul saying I want you to look beyond yourself you can't do this you're not capable of doing this but there is the one that can I want you to humble yourself under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time and I want you to think about this Peter is the one that wrote this you remember the story when Jesus was out walking on water and he invited Peter to come out to walk on water and Peter started walking on water and the storms around him started scaring him and Peter started to sink? Whose hand got down to lift up Peter? Jesus. Peter's writing this and you'd be crazy to think he wasn't thinking about that moment where Jesus in the flesh lifted him up in a moment of need. So he's saying, I want you to humble yourselves. You can't, but he can under God's mighty hand. And it's not just the mighty hand of some cosmic being out there in the middle of the universe. No, no. I want you to give your anxiety, throw your anxiety on him, cast it on him. Why? Because he cares for you. 
because he loves you, because he is for you. My daughter, Harper, is 14 months now. And she is really, really good at telling me when she needs something. Like really good, like too good. Better than any baby I've ever met. Like when she needs something, she makes it very clear. Like when she's hungry, she makes it very clear. When she's tired, she tells me. Not with her words. She doesn't know how to use those yet. We got a couple we're working on. I'll Instagram it later. It's actually adorable. (laughs) But you know what she does? When she needs something, she cries out. When she's scared, she cries out. When she needs help, she cries out. When she just needs some love, she cries out. When she wakes up and wants me to come get her, she cries out. And let me just tell you, Harper, she's not too proud She's not too ashamed. She's not too embarrassed. She's not too prideful. No, 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 no. She cries out with no shame, with no pride, because she knows that she can't, but I can. For some of us in the room tonight, we need an attitude adjustment and we've got to humble ourselves and we've got to look past the pride. We've got to look past the shame. We've got to look past the stigma. We've got to look past the embarrassment and we've got to cry out to God. But you know what else she started doing as she got a little bit older? When she needs something, when she's scared, when she's fallen and hurt herself, you know what else she does? She lifts her hands up. And you know what this means, right? This is universal sign for, I need you, pick me up. And there isn't a second that goes by before I grab her. And I pick her up and I hold her. And I can't make whatever it is she's feeling better immediately, but I'm going to hold her and in due time, she's going to be okay. Let me just tell you, some of you need to put a pride or change your attitude, but there are some of you that need to change the posture with which you approach God. And I don't know what it is, but there is something about humbling ourselves before the God of the universe that loves us, that wants a relationship with us, that wants what is best for us. There is something about the posture with which we approach God that is a pathway to peace. There is something about the posture with which we approach God, and I can't explain it, but it begins to lead to the peace that protects our hearts and our minds in the name of Christ Jesus. Some of us need an attitude adjustment, and some of us just need to change the posture with which we approach the God of the universe that loves you more than you could ever imagine. And in due time, he will lift you So what if, like what if we humbled ourselves before God? What if we changed the attitude with which we approach God? And none of this is to replace something, this is just an add-on. Well, what if we changed the posture with which we approached God every single day? Physical posture before God. There's something about the physical posture that changes the posture of the heart. 
What if we invited other people into the conversation? What if we brought our small group into the conversation? Uh, what if we brought professionals into the conversation? What, what if we were willing to bring a counselor or a therapist into the conversation? How many of you know that any solution is a solution of God? And so it could be medicine, it could be a psychiatrist, it could be a therapist. Guess what, man? Any solution is a great solution and God's gonna work through that solution. So what if we needed to bring somebody else into the conversation? And what if we started trusting God? What if, not as a replacement for anything, but an add-on to something you can do, what if every single day, what if every morning, what if we began to build into the rhythm of our lives and our faith and our time with the Lord? What if every day we came to God and through prayer and petition with thanksgiving presented our requests to God? And what if rather in fear, rather with anxiety or, 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 or worry, what if we presented our requests to God and asked for the peace of God that transcends all understanding? to guard our hearts and our minds in the name of Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, for some of you, it'll transform this struggle for you in a way that you never thought. And for some of you, not all of you, for some of you, it might be the most significant step that you could ever take. But he's with you, he loves you, and he cares for Heavenly Father, we love you and we are grateful that there is peace that is available. We are grateful that there is a peace that wants to protect our hearts and protect our minds. So Father, I pray tonight, I pray that you would begin to break some chains of unhelpful ways of thinking that are leading down unhelpful paths of living Father, I pray that you would, um, in a way that we can't fully understand, that you would begin to bring your peace down into our hearts. I pray that um, attitudes would be shifting tonight. The posture with which we approach you might be shifting tonight. Believing you at your word and believing that you want to walk alongside us, believing that you want to walk alongside with us, believing that your best for our lives is what you desire and want. We love you, and it's in the matchless name of Jesus that we pray, amen.